Sorry, I just, just wanted to look at my wife a little bit more there. Been away for about 10 days and got another 10 days to go. But uh, good morning, GT Church. How are you? God bless you. And good morning, GT North. God bless you. God has sent me here to tell you about Cuba and to give a word. But first, I want to tell you that the church in Cuba is on fire. Even during COVID, it was on fire. I met with uh, one of the district superintendents. They have five districts. He covers the third western part of the island. He reported to me that 71 new house churches were planted in Cuba during COVID. How is it possible that the church in Cuba continues to explode in the midst of the most difficult situations? I tell you, it's because they have an eternal perspective on life. Their world changed overnight 62 years ago. You got quiet there. They learned to distinguish between the things of God and the things of this earth. And they don't stop doing the things of God just because the things of this earth get crazy. Most people don't understand what happened in Cuba. I'll give you a quick synopsis. For the first half of the 20th century, Cuba was prosperous, just like the United States. As a matter of fact, it was more prosperous than the United States at that time. The Cuban peso was valued more than the U.S. dollar. Average income, per capita income, was higher in Cuba than it was in the United States. But a young man by the name of Fidel Castro wanted change. And he got it. The island's about 800 miles long, has a population of 11 million. From one day to the next, there was change in Cuba. We had about 100 churches on the island. Our missionaries had been there for 20 years. All of a sudden, those churches began to shrink because Christians were faced with the reality of this walk that Christ told us about 2,000 years ago. Do you know that for the first 300 years of the Christian church, if you said you were a Christian, you were signing your name to a death warrant? For 300 years, they were killing, they were killing Christians crucifying them, burning them, feeding them to animals. So if you said you were going to be a Christian, you understood it meant death and eternal life. Ow! They have an eternal perspective, people. God has called us to get that perspective once again. Those churches shrank so much that it became, the, the, word, the, the word the Cubans use is consolidated. It's kind of like simmering down something until you get the good stuff at the bottom. They learn to fast and pray and fast and pray and fast and pray and fast and pray. And you can go into the churches any time of the day and you're going to find somebody fasting and praying there. In 1992, when Russia pulled out, the whole economy of Cuba collapsed completely. And people who for 35 years had heard that there was no God now had no other recourse. And all of a sudden, this almighty God begins to do miracles on the island. It wasn't related to one individual. It wasn't related to one church. It was happening on the east. It was happening on the west. It was happening in Assembly of God churches, Methodist churches, Baptist churches, Catholic churches. Because when God decides to move, he'll do it. Healings like the book of Acts. And those healings were bringing crowds into the small churches that had just a few gathering previously. The pastors tell me that they had to stand up against the back wall of the church, standing room only, no air conditioning, because people were hungry to hear the gospel. 
The government got a little concerned with the large crowds, and so for the first time in 35 years, they gave permission for Cuban Christians to hold religious services in their homes. Well, the light bulb went on. Cuba has a, like a 98% literacy rate, and they give free education, and so that you have lots of degrees. These people are smart, and, so, and they're willing to sacrifice. Young couples begin to move into wood shacks, sheds, garages, whatever they could call a house so that they could hold religious services. See, in Cuba, they still don't allow you to plant a new church. You still cannot preach in the streets in Cuba. You'll go to jail. I know pastors that have gone recently. But a young couple can move into a wood shack and begin a service. They get permission to hold religious services. Today, we have over 4,000 house churches on the island of Cuba. And that's just scratching the surface. Because of lack of transportation, we need so many more. We want to talk about eternal perspective this morning. If you really want to understand what's going on in Cuba, you need to read the first chapter of the book of Philippians. It's amazing. Paul has been in prison for two years when he writes this book that is known as his joyful epistle. He's been in prison. He's been in chains. For he's facing a death sentence. And he tells the Philippians, he's so excited about what they're doing. He said, oh, these chains, don't worry about it. God's using my chains to spread his gospel. And the only thing that matters to me is that God be glorified in my body. He doesn't say in my life. He says, in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is to live for Christ and to die is. Oh, that was pitiful. Uh, this is a Christian church, right? For me to live is to live for Christ and to die is gain. Do you know the Bible says that precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints? You know why? Because it's not death for God. It's one of his children who made it home. Maybe you lost some in COVID. And I understand the hurt of losing your loved ones. We lost multiple friends in Guatemala and in Cuba. Pastors, dozens to COVID. But when I heard of my best friend in Guatemala who I'd worked so long with that he went home to be with the Lord, I went, praise God. And then I said, that dog, he beat me to it. You see, you got to understand, God will change your perspective so much that you can't wait to die. And I'm not talking about a death wish. I'm talking about a life wish, eternal life. I can't wait to die. And I'm serious as can be. You saw my beautiful wife. I was talking to Pastor Maritz. I said, man, we're 34 years and I'm still in love. So it ain't like I want to get away from my wife and four kids. It's just I've come to understand what eternal life is like. God has revealed it to me in the spirit. And it's like I just longed. Do you know Paul said that in that same chapter? He talks about whether to live or to die. It doesn't matter. And the truth of the matter, he says something like this. He goes, I'm stuck between two choices. Having a desire to go on and be with Christ, which is far better. Doesn't that sound a little bit like I can't wait to die? But understanding that to stay is good for the work of God. Do you understand that the only time you have to prepare for eternal life is the 80 or 90 or 70 or 50 years that you're given on this earth? Are you ready for this? Mm, it's getting quiet out there. We better pray. I 
I told you that God gave me a word for his church, and he has confirmed it over and over and over again. So I ask you, do you want to hear a word from God? Good response. Young man comes running up to Jesus. He acknowledged him as the Christ. He kneels before him and says, good master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? He was already focusing on eternal life. He was a rich young ruler, but he's focusing on eternal life. He was zealous, and he wanted to hear a word from the master that he knew would speak truth to him. And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. He says, I've kept the commandments my whole life. And the very next scripture says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. You see, when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't look at your face. He looks through your eyes into your very soul. And he saw something in that young man that was lacking. He was not trying to set a standard for all Christianity. He said, there's one thing that you lack. Listen to this. Listen to all of it. Go sell what you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Remember, Jesus said, don't build your treasure on earth. Build your treasure in heaven. We, we take that stuff so flippantly, and, and it wasn't flippant. He was trying to prepare you for eternal life. He was trying to say, look, I'm preparing a place for you, and this is how you get it. That young man got up and walked away. Do you still want to hear a word from God? Please take just a minute to really open up your heart. As you open up, the anointing and the Spirit of God will flow into you. And you will walk out of here a changed person. And this church will accomplish things far beyond the vision that you've already been given. Because that's how God works. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now, Lord. We open our hearts and our minds, God, that you would take control of this service and the time that we have. Lord, open my heart and my mind, Lord, to understand the deep things of God. I give you my heart and my ear right now. Say that with me just in your heart. God, I am yours. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. And now, Lord, I pray that you would use me, Father. Use my voice. God Almighty, speak, Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the last things that Jesus said, almost the last thing, in the last chapter of the last book, was something very important. He said, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give to each one according to his work. I, 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 I'll have people quote that with me and they'll say, faith. No, behold, look it up. I can't quote it. It's, I know it's Revelation 22. I don't remember the verse. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give to each one according to his work. But there is no schism in the word of God because the word of God in Ephesians says that we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. You see, my God is not an angry God. My God doesn't want to punish your sins. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to punish your sins so much that he decided to punish your sins and my sins in his precious son, his only son on the cross. And he laid all the sins of the world on the shoulders of Jesus. And on that cross, they were paid for. Because God is a holy God. He is a God of love, but he's a holy God. He must punish sin. The wages of sin is death. <laughs> so our sins have been paid for. We believe by faith. We repent. 
It doesn't mean you become perfect. No, we were sharing with the guy in the first, it's not about being perfect. It's about following God instead of following your own life, your own desires. But in that same scripture where he says that we are not saved by works, we're saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. We usually stop there when we're preaching that. But the very next verse, verse 10 of Ephesians 2 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you understand that God prepared a work for you to do in your life beforehand? that you should walk in it? You understand that God, we talk about God has a plan for your life. It's more specific. He has prepared the very works that you are to do. And if you will walk in it, you will see the reward. But he gives you a choice. And do you know that you can be a Christian and lose your reward? You can still be a Christian and lose your reward. You can lose part of your reward. I'll show you in the scripture. But before we get into that, I want to show you that these people that you are helping to minister to all over the world are sometimes giving much more than us. And we're talking about eternal reward. And so I want you to compare Rolando Escalante's story with your own. I can tell you this. When I go to be with heaven, go to be in heaven, my reward will not be as great as his. This illiterate Mayan Indian killed a man before he was a Christian with a machete. The guy was messing with his wife. In this village, if you're not happy with somebody, they may offend you once and they may offend you twice. If it's three times, they walk up with a smile and go, ka-ching. They're not trying to kill you, but they open up your head. But this was beyond that. And so he hacked the man to death. He went to prison for two years. And during that two-year period, the very pastor that I told you just went on to be with the Lord and in COVID, witnessed to him. This guy, was he was just all about the work of God, man. He was in prisons. He was up in the mountains. We walked six to eight hours with him up into the mountains of the villages in Guatemala and he witnessed to Rolando Escalante never knowing what it would produce never knowing that here in GT Church we would be talking about Rolando Escalante you remember the woman that, that gave the two mites Jesus said she gave more than everybody and we're still talking about her she'll be one of the most honored in heaven See, heavenly reward is not measured the way that we measure it. When we talk about giving, I'm not going to go into a lot of that, but it's in measure as to how much you can give. In her case, she gave it all. Amen? So Rolando gets saved, but Rolando not just got saved, he got the goods. He wanted to share with other people. He let it be known that he would be willing to donate the property next to his uh, mud hut that you see there, which was half of his property. It wasn't a big lot. It was just big enough for a small church building. And so the pastor knew that I wanted to go to those areas, so he invited me to open the first service, and we went up there as the evangelists and set down our generator and the, and, the, and the lights, and the demons were just coming at us. I mean, you could feel it all night long. It was oppressive. It was heavy. We got there late because the river was higher. It took us too long to get there. It was like 9 o'clock at night. It gets 6 o'clock. It gets dark. We had about seven people gathered, and I'm beginning to preach, and, and it's, just, it's just a battle the whole time. And four guys come walking across the side. They're doing this with their machetes and looking at me like they don't like that I'm here. And, and so I go over, and I begin to preach with them because I learned a long time ago, listen to me, this is a word. When you experience fear, you have to fight it. You have to face it. 
It is not the time to get on your knees and start praying to God. You already have the authority inside of you to come against that spirit of fear. And if you exercise it, it will go. It will flee. That's what my Bible says, and I tend to believe it. So I went over to those guys, and I began to preach to them. And I couldn't believe crazy things happened in these situations. I couldn't believe what came out of my mouth. Literally, my knees were starting to shake. I had lost my fear of death, but there was something about three machetes doing this that was making my knee shake. And I went over to them to face that fear that I was feeling. And I began to preach to them. And the first thing out of my mouth was, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to die for your sins. You don't have to go to hell. Jesus Christ paid for your sins with his blood. All you have to do is repent and accept by faith that his death paid for your sins. And you can be saved tonight. And I went back to preach to these guys over here. And all of a sudden, as I'm about to give the altar call, the strongest demonic presence I've ever felt, and I've felt a lot in my ministry in Guatemala and Cuba, just came against me like a roaring lion. That's, that's the only, I didn't hear anything, didn't see anything. I'm about to speak to give the altar call, and it was like, ah! And I, I, I literally reacted like, what was that? But I re- do you know that the only weapon that the enemy has is a lie? He'll try to convince you to put your faith in a lie. And then you're exercising the, 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 the uh, system of God because you're putting your faith in something. Do you understand? That's his plan. And so I did just what I told you. I rebuked that demon. I gave the altar call. And the first one to come forward was the leader of those four. He walked forward except Jesus Christ. I couldn't believe it myself. You know, you, you think we're great men of faith. No, we just try something because we don't have anything left. And then sometimes God does it. And a teenage girl walked forward. Rolando Escalante was so excited, man, because now he was seeing fruit. Two years later, we had a church on that site. One day, he's sitting out front, very happy with his family of six. These two little boys are playing with him in front of the mud hut. Two guys pull up in a four-wheel drive. It was very remote. And they get out of the truck, and they say, are you Rolando Escalante? He stands up, and he says, yes, what can I do for you? And they pull out a pistol, stick it in his face, and pull the trigger right there in front of his boys. Rolando Escalante not only gave half of his property to the kingdom of God, he gave his life for the work of God because his uncle hired those two for $200 to kill Rolando for what he was doing. So here is a, a poor, illiterate Mayan. Now let's think along the reward, amount of reward that he's going to receive by that and compare it to our own. Don't you think he's, he's going to be way up there, you know? Remember, Jesus said the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Heaven is not communist. I probably shouldn't have said that. We're online. But it's true. Heaven is not communist. In God's eyes, we all have the same love. In God's eyes, we're all equal in that sense. But we will not receive the same honor. Jesus told his disciples that they were going to sit on 12 thrones and and judge the the 12 thrones. That's what happens when I try to hurry. (laughs) They're going to sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm not going to sit on one of those thrones. Do you remember James and John, their mother, was was, uh, uh, asking Jesus, said, Jesus, grant that these two sons, one on your left, one on your right, will sit with you in eternity. He said, that's not for me to give. It is for whom it has been prepared. So when Jesus says he goes to prepare a place for you, he's not just preparing a corporate place 
for the church. He's not just preparing your mansion. He is preparing a place that's individual to you. He's going to prepare a place for you in the kingdom of God. But there's no guarantee that you will attain to that place if you don't follow his will for your life. And his will for your life, excuse me, I can say this because I lived it, is not just to live the blessed life and then one day go on to be with Jesus. That's what I thought when I got saved. I got saved at the age of 25. I was, all, I was already a yupp, yuppie. What was that? Young, upwardly progressive, whatever you want to call it. I was in management for a Fortune 500, making good money. I got saved, gave my life to the Lord. Tell people I only got half saved, but I figured, you know, hey, I'm doing pretty good on my, on my own. Now I got God on my side. He's sure to fulfill my dream. Doesn't the Bible say that he gives you the desire of your heart? Yeah, but what does it say right before it? Help me out. Delight yourself in the Lord, and then he will give you the desire of your heart. You know why? Because when you make him your delight, not his blessing. Forgive me, am I preaching too hard, Pastor? Sometimes I can, I can, I want to flow in the anointing. This isn't judgment. When you delight in God, when he becomes your delight, when you get an eternal perspective and understand what an almighty God for, did for you, you're so grateful, you're like, whatever you want, God, I'll do it. He called on Abraham one time. He said, Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and take him up on a mountain and offer him in a sacrifice. The very next verse says, Abraham rose up early in the morning. It doesn't say he went to consult with Sarah. He believed in his God. Abraham had an eternal perspective on life. Abraham wasn't seeking the blessing of God. Do you know the two sins that Abraham did that are recorded in the Bible? The two times that he lied about Sarah not being his wife, he walked out blessed. The two kings sent him away with all kinds of cattle and gold and silver and servants. He wasn't seeking the hand of God. He was seeking the face of God. And as we seek the face of God, he feels free to bless us. Amen. I want to go and teach you a quick teaching that I believe the Lord is having us teach. If you have your Bible, I apologize to the media guys that I didn't get this before. I, I did tell pastor that I don't work with a script and so I can't always give those things. So thank you for your patience. First Corinthians chapter three, we should all have a copy of the Bible on our phone and iPad or something. First, let me preface it by this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, this is the word that the Lord told me to give to his church. It says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may give an account for the things done in the body, or excuse me, that we may receive, it's talking about reward that we may receive the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Okay, we're going to talk about that. It is not talking about sin. Let me be real clear. This is not talking about, I've heard pastors say, yeah, when you go to heaven first, you're going to stand before all the multitude and there's going to be a big old screen like this one up here and they're going to show everything you did in your life. It's a lie. My Bible tells me that he has separated me as far as the east is from the west from my sins. That he has, there is no such thing in the Bible that I can find about the sea of forgetfulness. What they did is they took two verses and stuck them together. One says that he has cast their sins into the sea. 
and that's in Micah, and then in Isaiah, it says, he will not remember their sins anymore. In other words, he won't bring them to remembrance. See, God can't forget anything. He's all-knowing. But he chooses, listen to me, if you're carrying around a sin from your past that you've already been forgiven for, he chooses not to bring them to remembrance because they're already covered, they're already forgiven. Don't keep asking God for forgiveness for something that he forgave you for years ago. Amen? So we're not talking about sin. We're talking about that time when we'll stand before our Lord at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account. He warned us about it in the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas. Right before he, he talked about the master goes away and he leaves his servants in charge, says, do business until I come. And they knew they were gonna have to give an account. What did he say right before he began that parable? He said, the kingdom of God is like He was telling us we have no excuse. The kingdom of God is like a master who goes away and leaves his servants in charge. But then he's going to ask us to give an account and we will receive a reward according to what we did. Let me tell you what God did to bring me through that process. I'm going to read the scripture just so that you have it and tell you my own. We've got till two o'clock here, right, Pastor? No, I'm doing my best to respect your time. First Corinthians 3, 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Paul in this scripture is really talking about the workers in the vineyard, the workers in, in the church basically. But this application applies to all of us for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If I jump down to verse 11, says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of our salvation. He is the foundation. But then we build on that foundation with our works. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. You'll see that there are three imperishable and there are three perishable. When, uh, when 2 Corinthians 5.10 says whether good or bad, some translations actually say good or evil, the true translation, if you'll study it, is worthy or unworthy because it's talking about eternal value. We as Christians do lots of works that have no eternal value. If you, if you, if you vacuum the church carpet, does that have eternal value? If you play golf on Sunday, does that have eternal value? That's probably a woodwork. If you invite the missionary, does it have eternal value? So there are works that we do in our life that, are, that have no eternal value, but they're not sin. There's nothing wrong with going. God wants us to enjoy the things that he's given us. He just doesn't want us to focus on them. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw... Each one's work, each one, every single one of us will stand before the Lord. Each one's work will become clear for the day. The day, uh, it means Jesus or the day of judgment. In that sense, the judgment seat will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Isn't it cool how the Spirit of God understood? Now, they might think this is about salvation, but I'm going to make sure. Everything that is here is inspired by God to be here. 
So when Paul says for me to live is to live for Christ and, and to die is gain, it's not for Paul. It's for me and you. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. This is the vision that God gave me. He brought me through a process of surrender. When I got saved, I met my wife like a year and a half later, realized I was only half saved because she told me, well, you need to understand that I have a call to full-time ministry. And I said, well, you need to understand that that's not going to happen if you marry me. I said, now I'm going to live the American dream, live the blessed life. Well, she dumped me on her second date. Long story short, God is merciful and we got back together and he began to bring me through a process. And part of that process was he sent me on a missions trip down to Guatemala back in 1989 when there was still guerrilla fighting going on. And this missionary wanted to go deep and wanted to go dangerous and wanted to go faith. And, and he trusted God with his life. But I realized along the way that he trusted God with my life. And I didn't like that. I didn't like it. It was stinky. It was dirty. I love Guatemala now. I lived there for 13 years. You see why? Because I delight myself in the Lord. And he has changed the desires of my heart. It is so amazing when you'll get into these truths. I came back from that trip so convinced and changed and transformed. That's why pastor's telling you, you need to go on one of these missions trips. I was so transformed that I turned to the pastor as we're driving back to the capital, and I was so thankful that I had survived. I got sick. I got scared. My life was placed in danger. And I was like, God, get me out of here. And yet I felt like I was walking hand in hand with Jesus. Oh! I remembered that. I remember the, the struggle of the flesh and the, and the edification of the spirit. And I turned to the pastor and I said, Pastor, this trip has confirmed one thing. He says, what's that? I said, that I am not called to be a missionary. I was as convinced as can be. It was the very day I got back and my wife wanted to hug me and I told her, no, first I need you to pour, hair, uh, pour uh, uh, alcohol over my hair because I think I have lice and I began to tell her about what had happened and I'm sensing the spirit and everything and and I was like I'm never going back there I kissed the ground of the Miami airport when I landed I was like I ain't ever going back to Guatemala but that very next day the spirit of God's working on me and out of my mouth came these words I think one day I'd like to go back that was the beginning of delighting myself in the Lord and he began to change my calling. I found out six years later that he was, I was crying out to him, God sent me to the mission field. I was on staff at a big church, had a good salary, but I was so hungry to go to, I was like, God, God, God. And he did in 1996. You know where he sent us? To Guatemala. I didn't ask for it, but when it, I, I don't have time to share that. But God will take you through a process, and one of those processes that he took me through to get me to that point was he gave me a vision of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is before I understood all this. And Jesus was sitting there at the judgment seat, and I was now about to step into heaven, and the image he gave me was a human image of me holding all of my works in my arms, bringing them before the Lord, all my works. And you know what was in my arms in that vision? A big house, a Mercedes-Benz, a BMW, a boat. And, and, and as I was going, I was thinking, man, I was blessed now. I, I guess I'm going to be blessed in heaven. And as I got closer, all of a sudden, the truth of eternity hit me. And I was revealed that I had wasted my life. And I began to weep. I couldn't even look in his face. I remember I had my, hand, my head down. I was right in front of him with my arms full of these things. And I could see his hands. I still had the scars. 
It's in, the, it's in the Bible. After he was rose from the dead and resurrected, he kept the scars. Isn't that amazing? We gave a glorified body, and he kept the scars. And I was just weeping, weeping, weeping. And the judgment came, and it was like, <laughs> and had nothing left. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. The loss of his reward, not his salvation. Yet he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And after weeping for a while, I didn't know what to do. I finally lifted my eyes to look into his face, and I did not find what I thought I would find. I thought I was going to find the face of a hard taskmaster that was angry. And what I found was the broken heart of a mother, that deep disappointment that when, when your child has done something that you still love them. You're not casting them out. You love them so much that it hurts you so deeply. And he was weeping. There were tears coming out of his eyes. And I was reminded of the day before he stepped into Jerusalem when, remember we talk about how he wept over Jerusalem. It's more a lament. And one of the things he said was, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times did I want to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks? Are you hearing this? But you would not. And it was as if the Lord was weeping because he was saying, Damien, how many messages have you heard? How many scriptures have you read? How many times have I told you, did I warn you? The kingdom of God is like this, but you would not. It changed my life. I saw myself entering into heaven with no reward. Well, I was given a little reward. I was given, I'm exaggerating here a little bit, just putting into human imagery, a broom to sweep the golden streets. Now, you got to understand, there's not going to be any pride in heaven. So this isn't about pride. Your honor, your level, your position is largely placed on your works. He has a plan and he knows what gifts he's given you and he's prepared a place for you but will you attain to it or not in eternal life? And I imagine myself sweeping the streets. You will not feel sad because he says he'll wipe away every tear, but you will not have what he planned for you to have. You understand that? You'll understand, oh, there's Rolando Escalante at, at that, on the throne of a city, part of the city over there, and he deserves it. He absolutely does. No, me? This is what I deserve. You're gonna understand God is speaking to his church. It is time for us to wake up and get serious about the kingdom of God. Go to the next picture real quick. Were you good for five minutes, Pastor? Thank you. I saw you go like this. No? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going a little over. But I... I this guy right here, I'm not even going to tell you the story. You see that wall behind him? That is the last wall to his house that he knocked down the day after he met me. He didn't even know who I was. But the same situation, he'd gotten saved and he wanted to see somebody build a church in his village that didn't have one. And he had let it be known that he would offer his land. And the day I showed up, I told him, I got a team coming in three weeks, but your house has to be down in a week. And I said, I'll come back. If you change your mind, I'll come back in a week and see if it's see that it's still there and I'll go find another place. Don't worry about it. But if you want this church, and the Spirit of God was saying, this is where I want the church. This is where I want the church. 
So I left. I came back five days later to see what was going on because I couldn't, I couldn't wait. And I found him. When he saw me, he started to apologize, Pastor, because he told me he would have it down. And he was like, I thought you were coming in seven days, and it's only been five, and they wouldn't let me knock down this last wall because it has an electrical connection on it. And he was starting to get all teary-eyed about that he hadn't knocked down his house in the time frame that I had told him it needed to be knocked down. My Lord! This isn't a summer house. It gets down below freezing there. His family suffered for a year. But the church was built. It's now a center of a feeding program. It's, it's, it's incredible. And he ended up with a better house. Not because I did it, but God sent somebody to rebuild his house. We can go, we can go to the next picture. Cuba, Pastor Pedro. These guys lived in the city in a acceptable situation, but they felt the call of God and Pastor Pedro and his wife moved their two teenage daughters. One of them wasn't there when I was visiting into this wood shack. You see the conditions. I don't need to go into it. The wall uh, that they're standing in front of the eight foot by maybe 20 foot space behind is where they live. The four of them live in eight feet, what, 160 square feet maybe. And the rest of it's house church. And this is what they do. And he tells me of the time, they have such a totally different perspective on life. They're willing to do this because they understand it's for a temporary time. They're only this long in this world. And in Cuba, they don't have the opportunity of a Cuban dream or an American dream. Their whole focus is on eternity. His mom walks in one day, there's 12 or 14. He had just started the church and, and they, they were worshiping God and the presence of God manifests himself in that place. And it's beautiful. Sometimes we'll be there three or four hours just standing in the presence of God, sweating. And in walks his mom. She walks up to pastor and she says, I just had to be here. The spirit of God told me I needed to be here today. She normally didn't attend. She was from the city. She gets into worship and within just a few minutes, she falls back on one of those benches. She's just overwhelmed with the presence of God. Nobody thinks anything of it, but there was a nurse there, and after about 10 minutes, she goes up and feels for a pulse and finds that mom died worshiping God. Whoa! Come on! I hope I die worshiping God. I was about to say we're preaching, but I thought some of you might get scared. He doesn't realize it. My thing's mom swooned, you know, with the presence of God. It's natural there. The nurse walks over to them. They're very respectful of the presence of God. She says, Pastor, I don't want to interrupt, but you need to know your mom's not with us anymore. He opens his eyes and says, she's right there. Pastor, your mom is dead. He said, Brother Damien, you will not believe my immediate reaction. I told everybody. They were still worshiping. He says, I told everybody. Stop, everybody, stop. I've got great news for you. My mom just went on to be with Jesus. He said every single one of them had the same reaction. They began to worship and praise and celebrate that she was where they wanted to be. Come on now. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints, the Bible says. They've asked me sometimes, well, did they go, and, because of the miracles, did they go and lay hands on her? And, and, and I tell them, would you want to be raised back to dead in Cuba? I want to go to that last picture. I was about to preach. This is a house church. They didn't know I was coming. This isn't special attendance. This is Cuba House Church. It's hot in there. You can see I'm flushed because we've been worshiping for over an hour. It was hot. It was at night, and it was probably over 90 inside. It was like a sauna. 
And I, they didn't know I was coming. The pastor was going to let me preach. I'm getting ready to get up and preach. He goes up after a wonderful worship time, and the Spirit of God inspires him to begin to talk about eternal life. And this is their reaction. Look at their faces. They study it. They understand. They're taught on the hope. And that's the reaction. Look at the lady by the door over here. It's like, I can't wait to die. but they're as serious as they can be about building the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if it's a change in government. It doesn't matter if it's COVID. It doesn't matter if it's sickness. They're going all over that island to do everything they can to carry every soul they possibly can to heaven with them. Because for them to live is to live for Christ and to die is gain. If you get an eternal perspective, do you, not, do you understand it's not... Trillions of years standing around the throne worshiping God. That's what I used to think. I was, I was thinking, man, this is a good deal. We get to live the blessed life, and one day we get to go to be with God. And some people teach that. Yeah, all we're going to do is stand for trillions of years. And that would be wonderful. But my Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. A new heaven, a new earth. There's no ocean, but there's a river. And I tell people, I'm going fishing. And we're going to eat. I tell them I'm going to eat steak in heaven. They say, well, you're not going to eat animal meat. No, but if Burger King can make a veggie burger, I think God can make something in heaven that tastes just like a bone-in ribeye steak. Get an eternal perspective on life. It will change your life on this earth and in eternity. Pastor's going to come and lead us. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. I know this is a challenge. I've had people come up to me and say that was scary. And I was like, yeah, but you're going to thank me when we're in heaven that I spoke what God gave me to speak. God bless you. Hey, let's thank Damien today.